welcome to COVID Around the World, the podcast dedicated to connecting with Fairfield University's international partners during COVID-19. I am Martha Marie Quiblat, currently a junior, majoring in psychology and minoring in health studies. In today's episode, I will be discussing how COVID-19 has affected higher education in the Philippines. Here with me today is my co-host, who will be helping me out with reading to us the answers of my interviewee from the Philippines, Mrs. Mary Grace Empaias, a registered nurse with a master's in nursing, who is a college administrator in a private university. Please introduce yourself, Chelsea. Hello, my name is Chelsea. I'm from the University of Connecticut. My major is Human, Family, and Developmental Science with a minor in Political Science. Today, I'll be reading Mrs. Grace's responses. So without further ado, let's get on to today's discussion. First off, I will give a brief outline to what the education system looks like in the Philippines. Primary education, commonly called elementary school, is six years. Secondary education or high school is six years and is split into two. The first four years are called junior high school, which is similar to the high school structure here in the U.S., while the last two years is called senior high school. Tertiary education or college is typically four years or more. The typical academic calendar in most schools is from June to March, but over the last few years, schools have there have been schools that started using an August to May calendar. But for today's intent and purposes, I will be focusing on tertiary education or college. With COVID-19 posing a threat to both the students and teachers, the government has decided that there needs to be adjustments made for the incoming 2020-2021 academic year. President Rodrigo Duterte has previously stated that in-person classes will be suspended until a vaccine is available. The Department of Education followed his directive and a direct order was released on May 11, 2020, stating that the school year for basic education or elementary to high school will start from August 24, 2020 to April 30, 2021, for a total of 203 days. Saturday classes will be authorized given the shorter amount of time. On the other hand, private schools and state or local colleges are allowed to start classes between the first Monday of June, but no later than the last day of August. They are not allowed to hold in-person classes earlier than August 24th. And from then on, if they are allowed to hold in-person classes, they need to adhere to social distancing guidelines, as well as submit the guidelines required by the Department of Education and its regional offices for monitoring purposes. These are their plan for compliance of health standards, their learning continuity plan for other methods of delivering education in the absence of in-person classes, and their academic calendar. The Commission of Higher Education, or CHED, released on their last advisory dated May 24th that higher education institutions using full online classes can start any time after May 31st. Higher education institutions using flexible learning can open any time in August 2020, while those higher education institutions who will use significant in-person classes can start no earlier than September 1st, 2020. They recommended that those schools using the traditional June to March calendar move their academic calendar to August or later in the year. The Department of Education also formally announced the transition from in-person classes to what they call blended learning for this upcoming academic year. Blended learning will use both online and in-person classes when deemed safe in order to continue the delivery of education to students. The threat of access to internet and gadgets 
this blended learning has received its fair share of criticism. The Department of Education has suggested to these concerns by making use of television, radio, and physical learning modules, aside from just providing online classes. And so with all these changes and adjustments happening all at once, I asked Mrs. Grace Baayas, what are some obstacles you face as you adhere to this new normal in education? What do you think is the biggest challenge you are facing or will face in adhering to the new normal? According to Ms. Grace, the biggest obstacle we are currently facing is the inability to conduct face-to-face teaching. This would create a 360 paradigm shift. Time is also a problem because so much is needed to modify teaching learning activities in terms of prep for maximizing student learning. Another is the move to convert face-to-face traditional teaching to more home-based learning and unprecedented, so a lot of technical requirements are needed, side-by-side to that is poor slash unstable internet connectivity, as well as varied capabilities of teachers in terms of technology usage. As an educator and an administrator, what aspect of guidelines laid out by the government and by your institution is the hardest adjustment with regards to continuing to offer education? According to Mrs. Grace, the IATF restrictions for conducting face-to-face traditional teaching methods and restricted mobility among students and teachers, great changes in the mechanics and provisions of implementing teaching mechanics, reduced class sizes, financial concerns, clamors of stakeholders to reduce fees. The IATFEID that Mrs. Grace Baez mentioned is the acronym for Interagency Task Force for Emerging Infectious Diseases. It is headed by the Department of Health and it is composed of members of the Department of Foreign Affairs, the Department of Interior and Local Government, the Department of Justice, the Department of Labor and Employment, the Department of Tourism, and the Department of Transportation and Communication. Currently, they are tasked to giving updates regarding the coronavirus in the Philippines and they are tasked with handling the responses to the coronavirus. How has this pandemic affected you as a professional? According to Mrs. Grace, it has affected me tremendously, negatively because it entails so much changes in so little time, and positively so by creating a great opportunity to modify systems to achieve education for all, especially nursing education. I saw in your institution's memo for school year 2020-2021, the guidelines for what you called flexible learning that the university will adhere to for the incoming school year. These will include the components of home-based learning and cautious return to campus. Home-based learning will provide learning packets and online classes to students, while classes that cannot be done online will be accomplished at a later time. Cautious return to campus will follow up after home-based learning when allowed by the government, provided that social distancing and health guidelines will be followed. There will be no tuition fee increase for the incoming school year and numerous training and support have been provided to the teaching staff to make sure that they are prepared. Have there been concerns raised by the students and or professional staff regarding these guidelines and how is the university accommodating these concerns? According to Mrs. Grace, number one, adjustment of payment regarding tuition. And number two, gross change in methods of teaching to home-based learning. The university has reduced sizes and does not increase tuition fees, reducing the load for teaching staff and concentrating on professional courses. What are the preparations being done in order to ensure that professional staff and students are prepared for this flexible learning? 
Retooling sessions take place for clinical instructors to convert traditional face-to-face teaching methods to online teaching methods. For students, the central student government involvement in aiding the transition from face-to-face to home-based teaching learning opens opportunities for them to voice their concerns. With the academic year being postponed to a later time, what do you think is the biggest challenge that the education sector is facing in this pandemic and how do you think this should be addressed? According to Mrs. Grace, the financial aspect of operation affects both the institution and the students themselves, so no increase in salaries among teachers and no increase in tuition fees. Another concern that many people have with resuming classes is finding ways to f- to fund and pay for college tuition, given that a lot of people were not able to work during lockdown and quarantine. The Commission on Higher Education, which oversees higher education in the Philippines, has stated back in May that new, new, no new merit scholarships will be given this year due to budget constraints caused by the pandemic. Only those who are currently enrolled in, in the scholarship program would continue to receive funding, but no new applicants will be accepted. Other financial programs provided by the agency will still, be prov- will still be provided, such as reimbursement of tuition and miscellaneous fees in state universities and colleges, tertiary education subsidy, and the student loan program. The president has also publicly addressed that staggered payments be made an option to help families offset tuition costs. Land Bank of the Philippines, which is a state-run bank, has made Study Now Pay Later loans available for students and families to avail of to help them in paying their tuition. 1.5 billion pesos has been set aside for their iStudy lending program to help tuition and fees of students for school year 2020-2021 only. I have read that there is a big issue with access to the internet and gadgets. How do you think this will affect online learning and what support do you think that the university and or the government should or will provide to combat this, these issues? Mrs. Grace states, it, aff- it really affects efficiency and effectiveness. The government should strengthen the internet bandwidth of the nation and to be followed by the institutional efforts to increase bandwidth for better internet connectivity. Provisions for portable learning package should also be prioritized for those who have no internet access. As I looked into this issue, I found that the Department of Information and Communication Technology has fast-tracked their installation of Wi-Fi sites all over the country, especially in quarantine areas, hospitals, health facilities, and schools. They have also made a priority to include the underserved population. They hope to establish 2,527 live sites in public schools and 1,804 live sites in state universities. As of July 14th, there have been over 4,000 logged live sites found on their portal www.freepublicwifi.gov.ph. In fact, the government has set aside 700 million pesos to ensure internet connectivity for 7,000 public schools, which should be completed in about 10 months. And as I have mentioned previously, the government and the Department of Education is actively looking into alternative methods in order to continue to provide to provide education for those who are not able to have access to Internet and or gadgets by making use of television, radio and providing portable learning materials. And that brings us to the end of the interview portion. Chelsea, do you have questions to continue our discussion? Yes. Um, you said that the... Department of Education was looking to use television radios to provide learning materials for, was that universities? Oh, so um, 
their use of radio and television is for elementary to high school education. They are they are looking into using for television. They're looking to use one of the state run channels in order to broadcast classes and um, learning materials. Now, um, I noticed that you also mentioned that they were going to have state, um, like here in the U.S., we have financial aid and then we have student loans that are typically given to us. Is that is this the first time that the Philippines is going to implement student loans? No. So um, the Commission of on Higher Education has always had these programs. Um, if you qualify, you could um, avail of financial aid, whether grants or loans. Um but it's only this year where they're not giving out no new merit scholarships, given that they had to um, do budget cuts because of the pandemic. But the, these programs have always been available for students to be able to use. Um, I know that I know in America, um, there are certain like rural areas as well that have um I have a hard time reaching Wi-Fi, but I'm Ghanaian. And for the most part, if you like live in a village or like the outskirts of the town, it's very hard to get any type of Wi-Fi or cell activity going on in your area. Now, if these if these students do or don't have gadgets, would they still be able to do their work even if they don't have the Wi-Fi available for them? So the availability of the internet in the Philippines, one of the factors is geographically where you are so more rural areas those who are in in far-flung areas like um very interior part of um the country the internet connection is a problem there it's they don't have as many sites or it's very weak in those areas so it is a problem it could be a potentially be a problem if the government will not be able to provide new live sites for students to be able to connect to the internet. And so from what I've been searching and from what I've, I've been reading, um, the government is working and, and the Department of Education is looking into providing physical learning packets to students if they do not have gadgets or access to the internet. And as I've, as, as I've said, for primary and secondary education, they're looking into using radio and television to continue to provide classes. Well, I'm not sure about um, like the course loads in the Philippines, but I know that here it would be kind of hard to put um to put like my coursework into a packet only because a lot of things I have to like hand back in mm-hmm. a lot of them are like essays and assignments that have to like be handed back into the teacher so if packets were to be given out if learning packets were to be given out for college students how would they be then able to return it back to the schools um from what i've read they are making i'm not particularly sure what the contents of these learning packets are mm-hmm. but from what i've read it will allow you to still be able to progress at the same speed to your fellow classmates who are able to join classes online i'm not particularly sure about how um, homework or projects in that case is going to work. But I, I, to my understanding, 
learning wise you're at the same page as uh, your who mm-hmm. add internet so mm-hmm. it's supposed to like be like a leveling field so mm-hmm. you're not supposed to be so you're not going to be behind, behind yes and you're still on course to like essentially graduate mm-hmm. but homework or project wise i'm not particularly sure how, how they're, they're working that. modify that mm-hmm. um another thing that she mentioned was she mentioned that both the university and the students were going to be like uh, not really financially impacted or because professors are not going to receive a pay raise, but students aren't going to get an, a tuition increase. Now, I personally think, well, I don't know how much professors get paid, but I personally think that not being paid, well, an increase in salary for a year, they still get paid like no matter what, but students who perhaps don't have, let's say, the merit incoming students into college who are not able to get a merit scholarships because they're not being given out. It would be nice if they got a tuition cut or do you think that it's really nobody really wins here? Yeah. I think this kind of outcome is the best solution that they could have at this moment because, um, as you said, as, as I've said, there, there was not going to be any new merit scholarships and, at the same time, things are going to continue to inflate. So you as a professional worker, you have to make do with the, um, the same amount of money that you're earning for this year, get, but still have to put into consideration that things are more expensive because we are in the middle of a pandemic. But also at the same time, for students, I personally think that if you continue to stop going to school, I think that's more um, it'll impact you more, but in a negative way. So I think this could be your best option to continue education, but you're not being, you're not given more fees or, or a more expensive tuition. I think staying at the same amount, um, this year, I think is the best option that you have. Yeah. Cause you could say like kind of like levels out the mm-hmm. playing field because I mean, you're still going to get because I'm assuming that professors are still going to try to give yeah. the same quality mm-hmm. of education that you were promised as they and, would mm-hmm. in person, and it would really be at a deficit at a deficit to the university, right? If they cut costs, especially because like when the moment of a pandemic, mm-hmm. and it takes millions of dollars right. to run an institution, mm-hmm. especially like a very popular one and a rigorous program. So it wouldn't really benefit the professors in the institution, they wouldn't be able to give right. the same quality of right. education right. they and were to cut. Yeah, and they were, like, these teachers, these professors, they were prepared, uh, you know, over the summer, they've done multiple trainings, and I like to believe that they are well-prepared going into starting classes. I mean, there are universities already in the Philippines that are already starting their classes. I mean, there are criticisms, there are bad things, but still they were prepared going into it so uh miss grace mentioned about the central student uh government that that they're going to help to be a liaison between the university and the students um i know that here typically when you have a problem with the way the class is going you just email the professor Mm -hmm. um i know that sometimes like some sometimes they do forums to ask how you're in but do you think that the central student government is going to be um, is going to really be the voice of the students who have concerns. I think it is. Um, you know, culturally, you have to, you have to also look at it culturally. Here in America, 
we don't have a problem you know, with voicing our thoughts and opinions, mm-hmm. but culturally in the Philippines, that might not be the case. Mm-hmm. So their next best option is to go to the student government. And that is also one of the, 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 the purpose of the student government. It's not just them putting out programs. They are the voice of the students. They have to make changes to the institution. They help make changes to the institution with, with the students in mind. Mm-hmm. So I do think this is, this is very good, especially when Mrs. Grace mentioned that, you know, student, the central student government is helping students voice out their concerns because this may be their only option or their, their only way of saying what's things that are going wrong or things that are going well. While that is good, the bigger question is, Will there be an action? You know, yeah, I you are heard. I, I, yeah. But I, that's also the first step to to having it's change. Being it's heard. being heard. So it's it's a it's a good idea now that they already have this in place, this place, this this method of voicing out their concerns. The next step now is is there going to be change in place? So because my next um my next cons- well question kind of was going to be like how fast do you think that the student, the central student government is going to be able to implement these voices and concerns because I guess you could say, how are they going to be able to filter out which, like, how are they going to be able to filter out which concern is worse? Like, what are they going to do about like department? Because I would feel like it's a lot for like the student government is typically like a small mm-hmm. group, a small team, and to be taking a lot from like the whole student body, whether it's by like departments, whether it's by programs or however they're going to do it, it would be a lot of information and like a lot of voices and concerns Mm -hmm. at once that they would have to like deal with. I know that like here in the States, when I have a problem with the way my grades are going or when I have a problem with like something in the program or if I see like a mistake in the syllabus I quickly email my professor right away like hey this is what's going on mm-hmm. this is what I've noticed and kind of speaks to me like on like on like a professional level mm-hmm. not like a, it's not like a casual level mm-hmm. either but it's very much like um I'm advocating for myself mm-hmm. through but because we don't our student government is different our right. student government's meant to like more so like just like run programs for us Mm -hmm. because but really like the only person who can voice my concern about my classes or Mm -hmm. the way the department's going would have to be me and other fellow students right that is an interesting difference you know here and the philippines because i i'm looking at it in a cultural side and i don't think that's that's how it naturally goes so I think the next, if you have concerns, you would probably have to address that to the student body and then hope that they address that to the right offices and the right people. Um, I also noticed that Miss um, Grace was talking about how I like how when Miss Grace was talking about how she was impacted, she made sure to note how she was negatively impacted mm-hmm. and positively impacted. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's good because like this is a pandemic and you know like either way it's not going to be it's not going to be good but I like how she was able to adjust and move Mm -hmm. on and like make lemonade with the lemons that she was given and I think that it was like I said it was good that she was able to highlight that and that she was able to now know what to do from here on Mm -hmm. out to implement the changes that right 
have her students be successful. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I think that's a really great mindset because this is a very uncomfortable time for all of us. And change is hard, mm -hmm. but you have to suck it up and, you know, adjust with whatever's happening around you. The world is not going to stop revolving because you're sad or you're down. And so it is hard, but you need to s learn to see the good, the good out of it. You mm -hmm. become more, um, pro not productive. You use your artistry more. You work towards becoming a better person and, and making positive changes in light of such a sad and, mm -hmm. Um, uh, troubling times, troubling times yeah. right? And oh, she made uh, she made a live note about the transition from face to face to like online. And I like how like she's still keeping the integrity and the 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 integrity of like the face to face work, mm -hmm. the things that would happen face to face. I like how she's still trying to find a way to translate mm -hmm. it to while it's online mm -hmm. but to kill but to still keep the same level of rigorous and mm -hmm. integrity that you would normally have while you were in the classroom right and i think that when that that's something that's going to be very hard for mm -hmm. professors to try to implement because right. you don't want to make your course easier mm -hmm. but you don't want to make it harder mm -hmm. as well because of the constraints you just but you at the same time you still want to stay true to what's being taught and right. to still make sure that everything goes through right. very smoothly. So I think that the fact that she was able to figure out how to switch from face-to-face -to, -face to online and to do so while still while still keeping the program the integrity, intact, right? I think that was like really impressive. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, we were talking about this earlier about mm -hmm. making sure that you uphold the quality of education you promise to these students. Mm -hmm. It's, it's really about that. That's kind of the heart of all of it, of all of this, you know, like you need to be understanding to a certain degree, but at the same time, you need to know that it's not just the students that are struggling. It's also these professors who are struggling. No one is winning either. You're mm -hmm. all trying to understand and, and adjust your learning and your teaching in all of this so i think we all have to be understanding of that mm -hmm. so um just real quick just back to um even though the government is they're gonna i know that for the, the grade school they're gonna implement television and radio for um grade school students what are what besides the financial aid how are they gonna make sure that students who Let's say like they want to like students have the gadgets mm -hmm. to be able to access online school, but perhaps the Wi-Fi isn't as good. Do you, how should like it's going to be kind of hard for like the government to make sure that they still receive Wi-Fi because let's say like if they're not eligible for like the, the packet, mm -hmm. but it's just like, their Wi-Fi spotty or like the lights keep going in and mm -hmm. out. Like how do you think the government's going to be able to implement that they still get the Wi-Fi? that they're able to access online schooling? Um, I think that's where the portable learning materials come into play. You know, 
even if you have internet at home, you have your Wi-Fi. It is not as reliable because the power can still go yeah. out. Your internet could still go down. So I do think even though you do have internet access, I think that the government or all schools in, in that case should still provide portable learning materials Just as, as a backup. backup. Yes, exactly. So even if you have the the access to internet, just so, you know, you never know what could happen. So, mm-hmm. yeah, um, I completely agree. And that brings us to the end of today's discussion regarding how COVID-19 has affected higher education in the Philippines. Once again, thank you so much, Chelsea, for being here with me today and helping me in reading out the interview, the interview answers. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. And thank you once again to Mrs. Grace and Paayas for graciously answering these questions. Thank you for tuning in to today's episode of COVID Around the World. Our next episode will focus on COVID and education in the UK. 